Welcome to No Sidekicks, a Magician's Rewatch podcast, where we'll be discussing every episode of The Magicians in order and with lots of feelings. I'm Dara. I'm Olivia, and we'd like to give you all a heads up that in today's episode, The Writing Room, we deal with the subject of child abuse, sexual assault, and rape. If you, our lovely listener, are not in a space to listen to this episode, please, please skip it. Just as Quentin does, we encourage you to do the things that make you feel enough like you to stay in the game. And for the rest of you who are along for the ride, let's get into it. Today's episode is covering The Writing Room, the ninth episode of season one. It's written by Sarah Gamble, James McNamara, and da, 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 Lev Grossman, the author of The Magician's Books. <laughs> Thank you, Dara. <laughs> Directed by James L. Conway, who has eight magician's credits to his names and is also known for working on Smallville and Supernatural. And it first aired March 14th, 2016. The episode description from Netflix is Quentin, Alice and Penny and Elliot search for a magic button at the Plover's estate, but instead make a discovery that could change everything. Notice anything about the description, Olivia? Ah, <laughs> uh, we hear nothing about Julia. Julia does not get a single mention in that description. <laughs> Pretty, pretty lackluster, I would say. I think that the actual description of what happens for the core four in the episode is accurate. But I would add that maybe something along the lines of Julia grappling with penance. That's kind of her journey in this episode. And I think we're going to have a lot to say about that. Julia looking for meaning in magic. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Julia's journey. That's what we should rename this episode so we can never ever <laughs> think about it again. <laughs> yeah. So general feeling. This one's a bummer. Oh, that is an understatement. Yes. Not trying to make light of it. <laughs> no, it's like really hard to watch in so many different ways. It is basically a horror a horror genre episode, which I don't vibe with. And then just everything that you gave a disclaimer at the top of the episode for. Also, hate that. Like, it, ah, what were your immediate takeaways? So if you like horror, you'll probably like this episode. I think, I, I mean, it is a good episode. It's solid. It's well paced. We get new stuff. We get new magic lore, re like hauntings, time slips, mind travel. So that's really fun. I always love getting new like world building involved. But in general, it's very icky. And I feel the way that Alice looks at the end of this episode. Mm. Also, as a general note, I feel like there's more character moments than plot development. Like the plot doesn't really move along until we get to the end of the episode. But it's, you know, a solid up. Yeah, it definitely, I agree. It's like Quentin comes out of this with information that he really didn't have before and maybe didn't want to know. And we're probably going to see how he grapples with that for the rest of the season, because this is probably going to be a big deal just from what we learned in this episode. I will note that I started watching this episode again at night, which I would say is a mistake. And I had to pause it. <laughs> I'd pause it and start again in the daylight. Upon a third watch, it was easier to get through, but only because I knew exactly what was going to happen. And I was more terrified of like the reality kind of scary stuff, not the ghost scary stuff. So, 
bummer is the best way to describe this episode. The reality is definitely worse than the like haunting stuff. Yeah. Although they do the haunting stuff well. Like they they rock all the tropes, the like time loops, the scary ghost children with scary kid music playing, shadows and creepy sounds, laughter. <laughs> yeah, they do that really well. Oh, and also something I do like about this is that our characters are really aware of the tropes. And so they're addressing it along with us. And even though I don't find that comforting because it doesn't matter, I'm always going to be scared of an episode like this. Uh, I kind of enjoy that they're a little bit separated from it and they're observing it with us. Yeah, I think one really strong point and something that draws me back to the magicians is how often it's like how how meta it gets, how like very aware mm-hmm. they are that they are in a horror story and that they are in a magical world. Like <laughs> like when Quentin was about to get kicked out of break bills, he's like, who would not want to know that there's magic? Like this isn't something we can just like LOL over. <laughs> like we have right. to, like this is something I can't let go of. Previously on, Fillory is real. The beast wants control of it. Mike doesn't remember anything we've seen him do. Julia needs to believe in something bigger than herself. Elliot kills Mike, who is the beast, who kills Eliza, who is Jane, and there are no answers. Hey, that was a fun little little loop around. Thank you. <laughs> it it made it more fun than it was to watch because I don't I don't know. That last uh the last episode. Uh-uh. I uh, see I told you I have no words for this episode, just like general sounds. Yeah, it's very easy to go back and talk about the last episode. So I'm I'm gonna not linger on it because then I'm just gonna rant about sad Elliot. Yeah. So we wake or rather Q wakes up next to Alice. That's how we start. And we get a super fun amends letter from Julia. The VO is Julia reading her amends letter to Q and she says, I don't need to tell you how fucking pissed I am. You probably got the idea when I incepted the shit out of you. I don't. And then I'm, I'm like paraphrasing, but some of my favorite parts of this is where she says, I don't understand where we fell apart after being friends forever. I'm sorry for my part. I know I'm not supposed to say that the other person messed up too, but you did. And it broke us. And I hate you for it. And I, uh, it's just, it's so honest. It's so real. And it feels like bringing us back to the beginning of the show where Q and, and Julia are so close and magic really like tears them apart. Like it really does. What did you, what did you think about her letter? I love her letter. I, it has everything I need in an immense letter. There's accountability uh, there's I statements, there's a, there's hope and there's action at the end. You know, she doesn't skirt around that. She's very direct in her role in it, but she apologizes mm. for it. She says that she put down magic and she's getting help and that, you know, I think it's okay to say the other person fucked up too. Like, it's okay to be yeah. like, I'm taking accountability, but it's not all on me. Yeah. Yeah. And it broke us and I hate you for that. And I'm working on forgiving you. I also like that she didn't forgive him yet, but this is her trying. This is her saying, we're not throwing away what we were in episode one. We're not throwing it away, but we're also not back at it. You know, like it's not, we're not, we have not gotten back to that yet. Like it's still. And we might not. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. We're starting the episode off with a friendship, like addressing a friendship breakup (laughs) and so hard. Like friendship breakups are so freaking real. I was just talking to an old friend about friendship breakups because they're going through one of a, of like a super 
long for like a 12 year friendship and i'm uh i've been through a friendship breakup it was absolutely mm-hmm. the worst breakup i've been through yeah we're we're in like an okay place now <laughs> uh like julia there's hope <laughs> but yeah it's hard i like i wish we got a little more from q but you know like he said they're both still mad but he's glad that she's okay so so what I want to say is like I feel in my own personal experiences I haven't gotten a lot of like closure and so something like Julia's letter is a lot of what I feel like I wish I could say to some of those people who I may or may not be friends with or may or I'm definitely not friends with anymore there's like at least in my life there's not a lot of that direct closure and Q's response of I guess we're still mad take care of yourself Jay and then he signs it Q I'm like, that's what I would get in return if I ever did something like that. It would just be kind of like, okay, like I've acknowledged it. Like, good luck, you know? And that's disappointing. It is a bit of like a disappointing man thing. I got your letter. We're both still mad, but I'm glad you're okay. Bye. <laughs> but it's it's something. It's better than not responding because Q very yeah. well could have not responded. Like, Yes, they both had things to be sorry for, but Julia mind fucked him and it was terrible. So, yeah, it's hard to come back from that. Also, he calls her Jay. We always hear Q being called Q, but Jay. I know it's kind of cute. Uh, there's so much we don't know about their friendship. Olivia, I think we're avoiding the rest of the episode. Oh, we again. absolutely <laughs> are. So throughout the voiceover, not only do we see um, Q like being all shirtless and domestic in Alice's room and in the cottage. But we also see Julia and Richard hanging out a lot, talking about penance, et cetera, et cetera. So clearly, um, you know, Julia is leaning on him at the moment while Q is leaning on Alice. Mm-hmm. He starts to talk to her about Fillory. And I I kind of love Alice in this moment. Like we're getting a little domestic Alice and Quentin, but she... <laughs> is like not about any of his self-pity in the wake of Julia's letter and in the wake of, um, you know, Fillory being relevant and existing. It's It feels like real Alice. Like, I think we get a version of her around certain people that I think is a little tense. And this is like a very calm, I don't have time for you to be self-pitying. Quentin, like, what do you do when you lose things? Like, it's so... exactly what you said like she's so straightforward i love that so he's all he feels like that since he lost the book he's not deserving of it since fillory has a history of deciding things for people like deciding when martin and jane could go or whether they could stay specifically the two gods of fillory ember and umber which we learn and alice's reaction to that is it's a manuscript it's not a referendum on your character sometimes we need someone like alice to say stuff like that to us because she's right yeah every once in a while you need the friend to slap you with the cold hard truth (laughs) yes no spoonful of sugar from alice and she tells him to do a locator spell like you said so they do and they end up at penny's feet (laughs) it's the full-on yeah he's propped up feet up but no shoes no shoes penny he's like who cares (laughs) and he's in some classroom in break bills and i i just want to say that like i love that the locator spell is like literally fire and it looks so silly on this little plate and they're just like wandering around and then like they're shoving it in penny's face and it's just very it's so weird i think i think you may have said something about that like 
locator spells being fire and other other like fantasy series or light in some respect light light makes a lot of sense yeah and so it's like so silly looking to me so when this was happening i was like what is going on and then you know it's just i think of fire as like a weapon and they're like no no we're just trying to find this book well they're shoving it in penny's face because penny is vehemently denying that he took the book and it's so stupid because it's like clearly the spell it's like so obvious with the spell right it's like why are you just being an asshole for the sake of being an asshole i really hate when people do this i've been very pro penny in the last few episodes and like in this episode he's really annoying the shit out of me well he's being uncooperative as fuck and in the last episode Quentin literally saved his life after Penny saved Q's life. They're kind of exchanging like tokens to save each other, like back and forth, but Penny's still being a jackass. So they get it out of Penny that he did read the manuscript that was in their shared room when they were first living together. And he says, yeah, I read the manuscript, spilled a beer on it. And then I threw it out and got a new beer. Like he's really trying to be (laughs) such an ass. And Q is like, oh, my God, you're probably the only person who has read this book. And like, I need you to do this. And before he can even finish the sentence, Penny's like, I need to punch you in the throat if you tell me what I need you to do. And oh, my God, I love Q's response. You can't possibly want to be a dick more than you want to live. Yes, someone said it. (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, the right attitude. (laughs) Honestly, like, I mean, I don't. You know, my notes have, but what if he does? And I'm, I don't think so. I think we've talked about Penny having like a really strong sense of survival and actually wanting to like protect himself and the other people around him. But he's not good at like showing that side of him. It just comes out as aggression. But thank, thank you, Q, for, for saying it. And then we get this fun little sequence where Penny relents and says, okay, I'm going to tell you what's in this book. And I, I don't know. It feels like if you had someone who's just not interested in your favorite thing, describe your favorite thing to you. It's like uh-huh. so, so bad. It's so good because it's so bad. He's just. He's just a mess of his memories. And like, clearly, like he, you know, if 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 what he said was true, that he was drinking while reading it, that also adds to the fact that like he can't remember this right. It's like out of order and things are changing. And it's really great because we get we get like the little flashes of his memory as he remembers it incorrectly and then corrects himself. And it's so fun. (laughs) I think that's like totally the right way to do like a boring exposition bit. It is so funny because you know that they had to shoot this scene a million times and it's just like, I I love it. I, it breaks it up and it makes it like more interesting. Also, it just like shows you how Penny feels about Fillory in general. They've had a lot of discussions about this. Like Quentin really thinks of it as this like thing that his childhood is very attached to. And Penny kind of thinks it as this like childish thing. That is like, you know, that he has no interest in it. So he's like switching up all of the animals. And I it feels like he's teasing Q. Oh, he absolutely is. Uh, especially because Q starts going on a rant about the lore of the questing creatures. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what does he say? Like, I'm getting dumber as the more you talk or like something like that. It's just so mean. Oh, my God. I stopped running down all his quips because he was exhausting me. Um, but I did mm-hmm. write down what we learned. We learned that Clover did not write the book but Jane wrote it. Uh, She wrote it to clarify what was wrong in the other books. We learned that Jane has an enchanted bow 
and she caught one of the questing creatures. And the creature created a magic button to unlock the door of Fillory because Fillory kept forgetting Martin. And Q starts to freak out because apparently there was talk of this magic button in the, in the Fillory message boards, but nobody knew what the button <laughs> did specifically. So now that they know that the button unlocks an entrance into Fillory, a portal, a door, however you want to refer to it, Q's like, gotta go find the button. <laughs> right, and they know that like, the button was never found in the book because it wasn't ever revealed in the book that he found it. So that's like the only clue that he has to go on that it is still possible to find it. This is so much information about Fillory. Like we're at episode nine and I feel like I've learned more about Fillory in these like two minutes than in like the whole of the episode so far. It's kind of nuts. I, I don't know. I'm just excited about it. It is. It's exciting. Um, it's more it's more world building in a way that we didn't expect to have world building. Yeah. And then we get credits. That's spooky, spooky music. <laughs> it's finally appropriate. Oh, it, it is. You're right. Um, Q decides to go to the mansion to find the button. Alice decides to go with him and they turn to find Penny and Penny's gone. And Q just goes, dick. <laughs> Q opening credits love it so Q and Alice return to the cottage and Alice is like yeah there's gotta be a direct flight from England and she's right New York is like the center of flights so they should be fine right but Elliot is like hey what are you doing no 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 Elliot shoes a boy away <laughs> that he is with while he's drinking heavily and then noses his way in. <laughs> oh, disheveled Elliot. Oh, he did not have a good time last episode. Okay. So, yeah, he's... He doesn't have a good time this episode either. I know. This poor guy, though. This poor, like, Raymond Ronald. I know. We we need we need Margot to come back because Elliot's looking rough. The number of times Elliot has said Margot is in Ibiza has been... To explain her absence is like a little <laughs> excessive at this point. Okay. He tells the boy to scurry away. He says, he asks them where. They said they need to go to England. And he's like, oh, you don't need a plane. Margot and I have created a door that leads to our favorite pub. And I, genius, genius. Genius. Adorable as well. I love imagining them on their little magical misadventures in London. Yeah. And he goes, I'll tell, I'll show it to you if you take me. Which feels like a deal to me, even in his disheveled state. Uh, tag along. And you can tell how desperate he is because they're like, yeah. you don't even know what we're doing. And he's like, I'll catch up. It's really cute. And then he just like looks into the distance and just swallows roughly. And I'm just like, oh, boy. Yeah. You poor man. I mean, I mean, OK, so he just he needs to be around people. Fair enough. He needs to be around people. Yes. So they all accept and we cut to the hospital uh, uh, Richard and Julia yeah so Richard has taken Julia to this facility and previously when they were in the park they were discussing uh, a way for her to kind of make up what she like she feels really bad about how she hurt Q and she's like how do I work on forgiving myself and how do I like make up for that and he this is what he's proposing as penance and there's a woman who is disabled. She seems like she doesn't have a lot of like motion or awareness of what's going around, going on around her. Yeah, we don't get any official diagnoses. Uh, yeah. She appears catatonic. Later, she says that her body failed her while her mind continues on. So 
it's basically presumed that she, yeah, she's can't do anything for herself. Yeah. So Richard talks to her, introduces her. Her name is Kira. And uh, he tells her that Julia is uh, experienced in mental projection. And I wrote, bitch, what? Uh, what a like respectability politics way to say that Julia had incepted her friend and used his worst experiences to create a hell for him. Yeah, that's like polishing your resume in a really bad way. Truly. I mean, Richard is that he looks like that guy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, that it counts. Richard starts to cast and Julia joins in. I think they're there's it's Greek, which I, I think we like to call out when the the magic is different languages. It's very multilingual. I love that. Oh, I didn't look it up this time, so good on you. Maybe it's not Greek. I just thought it sounded like Greek to me. But um, I mean, oh, I don't know what Greek sounds like. So I will double check. But I also feel like maybe the Netflix thing actually said speaking in Greek. Uh, but I will because I always have subtitles on. I Subtitle crowd. Me too. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Anyways, so he starts casting and then we cut to black and Julia is like we only hear her voice. And she actually says like, Kira, if you don't want me in here like that's fine i'll just go which is great you know that's growth for julia a little bit of consent cool but you know she's screaming that she's stuck and she casts a light we reveal that she's in a coffin and we get the line someone saw kill bill (laughs) i know more than uma uma yeah, exactly. <laughs> so good. Uh, she says she knows more than Uma and she makes herself impervious to fire and burns her way out of the coffin. And then she is magically on a bench and Kira is sitting next to her. I love this sequence. Like, it's just such a fun way to, like, see people use magic. And there's this fun little exchange between Kira and Julia where she, she's like, what was up with that? And she goes, I had to see how good you were. And Julia says, what's up with magicians and tests? <laughs> and they do <laughs> love them. It's like it's a theme, at least in season they one. They do. Hey, I mean, if you can, there's so many ways to magically manipulate people that I feel like if I had magic, there would ha- there would be a different threshold of like being vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. So Kira also explains like her situation. Uh, we, like you said, we learned that she was working on a spell and then her body failed her, but her mind kept going. And the reason Richard is helping her is that he is trying to help her finish this spell. So Julia is there to listen to Kira and write down everything she says. And in her, in this like mindscape that they're in and then take all of that out and like redo it in real life the confidence that kira has in julia to be able to do this yes uh she says i talk you write and when you go back out remember what you wrote uh because she finished the spell and it needs to be in the world i don't did it say what the spell does i don't know no okay yeah power to her because even though i so for me like in school flashcards and like that kind of stuff did not work for me. I would just have to handwrite my notes and I would rely on like muscle memory more yeah. than like visual memory. So I get it. 
But this is a lot. This is a lot that Julia is writing down. And um, so you're saying if you were in Julia's shoes, you'd be like, all right, we need three hours. Like, <laughs> Just do it over yeah, and over I need and over to again. do this four more times and then I can write it. Thank you. Uh, thank you. <laughs> I also think it's a testament to how good of a magician Julia is, right? We don't get to we like I think we know that she's good. But the fact that she feels very confident about this task, it makes me... And she's had no, quote, formal training. So I think it's impressive that Julia is, like, confident that she can, you know, understand what this is and take it out and do what Kira's asking. So we arrive at the Plover Estate and we see our little four, core four, um, I guess they reunited with Penny, on a little tour guide of the estate. My first note is Q correcting the tour guide, my man. <laughs> I've definitely done this before, not on a tour guide, but like when people are sometimes people in power, like at quiz nights and stuff are like talking about my hyperfixations, And I'm like, actually, <laughs> not what we, <laughs> that's not the number. Like, that's not what was said. I, I have more self-restraint now, uh, but, you know, in my youth, I did not. And I definitely corrected the people in charge. I relate to Q here. I love it. And I also love that uh, while Q is nerding out to the 10th degree, Alice looks both enamored and kind of impressed. Yeah, she is like, if Q wasn't here, maybe I'd be doing this. Because she did read them. She read them. She after, did. Uh, she found out they matter to Q. Yeah. After being very against reading fantasy magical genre, that's a big key p- key part of Alice's character. The tour guide doesn't like it, though. <laughs> the tour guide doesn't like it, but he puts on a brave customer service voice and <laughs> deals with Q. Yeah. He also calls Elliot out for trying to snoop. Yeah. We learn some more exposition. Uh, we learn Christopher Plover and his sister Prudence both had a shitty childhood which is why they took in the Chatwins when their mother died. And they also looked after the groundskeeper's children. Also, big note, Q is using a digital camera. And and what did we say? This was in 2014? 2016. Did 2016. we still use those in 2016? No, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure most people have... I'm pretty sure like the iPhone hipster commentary was well underway by 2014. Yeah. No, we definitely did not have have a Q. He's such an old man. <laughs> he is. Oh, my God, he is. He is like a kid in a candy store. He's like taking selfies with this little digital camera in front of the, the desk and the bookshelf in the writing room. He's mouthing the words that the tour guide is quoting. It's amazing. I love it so much. Penny tells him when he notices Q is doing this, Penny tells him you will never be a man. And I wrote, fuck you, Penny. <laughs> fuck, fuck you, Penny. What's the, what's the quote, though? What's the quote? The quote is, there is no substitute for a childhood of adventure, warmth, and love. Which I'm sorry to say is, I think, the dark thesis of this episode. It, it's like positive and a negative, right? Because it's talking about like there is no other way to have a good childhood. And it's like, yeah, we know. Because you robbed them of that, right? And it's like... Show me one person in this room who's had a good childhood. Show me one person and or ghost in this room who has had a good childhood. And or ghost? (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. We're trying to to make light of this episode. Uh, Moving on. Okay. (laughs) So 
the tour is over. We cut to them breaking in after hours and they're in the literal room that Clover used to write at. They're at his writing desk. Q says, this desk saved my life. And he starts to talk about him and Julia pretending they were Jane and Martin and how much Fillory means to him, which obviously we know. But then it gets real. Mm -hmm. And he says, My brain breaks sometimes. Alice asks, do you still feel like that broken brain? And he says, I don't feel that it's really fixed. It works better now in its own screwed up way. Mm. Yes, I love it. Uh, I love this little speech by Q. I don't know. It just means so much to me. It's stupid, but I love it. Um, yeah. It's not stupid. It's not stupid. It's, it. it's a core moment of a vulnerability with Q. And it's also, I think it's important to note like that Alice is the only one in the room. So other people can hear him say this. And I, I don't know. It's like, it's yeah. nice that he's able to share this with, with Alice mostly, but like also say it to everyone else in the room he very much owns this part of him and this um this aspect of his life and i like that he says it's not like about fixing it it's about getting it to getting it to work on his terms in its Mm. own screwed up way yeah I i think that's a great way to you know approach your problems yeah to conceptualize like mental health things it's like things are never going to go back to wherever it was supposed to be how do we move forward how do we keep it moving yeah i love it there's this cute little like break of of that serious beat where q asks alice if she's gonna break up with him if i if he tells her that he's never been happier in his life than like just sitting in this room and elliot's like had enough and he's like stop love burning and he's found something, which is great. I feel like there's so many clues in this room, right? I think it's a safe... I feel like we've debated this, but he finds something. And it's a lot of letters. It's a lot of letters um, to and from Prudence. The letter is a letter from Prudence to their lawyers asking for a death certificate for Christopher Plover, which Q is saying that, like, this is not accurate to his knowledge of what has happened to the author. He was aware of the fact that or the public was told that Plover died um, at age 52 of a heart attack. And this is not what is happening. Prudence is saying that he is missing. And then Q reveals that they're also in, I think this is in the letter. This part was a little confusing. I can't, I couldn't tell where Q was adding in the knowledge that he already had about the, the author and the books and what was in the letter itself. But we're going to just like gloss I think over it was that. a little of both. I think the letters revealed that Plover was missing, which makes it weird that the children had also gone missing. Because yes. it was known that Jane, Jane and Martin just disappeared. Right. Not great. And then we get another clue when Penny finds all of these magical textbooks on the shelf. There's also a moment I want to call out that after they're kind of like thinking about what happened about with Plover and like all that, Alice says like, I bet it's more complicated because we know Fillory is real. And there's this moment of like, okay, maybe it's not bad. <laughs> and <laughs> that's like the last time we feel maybe it's not bad. I guess bad. Um, yeah, because then we find out it's very bad because not only does he have regular magical textbooks, uh, but he also has basically what Penny refers to as the Traveler 101 yep. course. 
And he he says, maybe it's not uh, complicated at all. Maybe he was just an idiot who was playing with magic and got exploded, which is not a bad guess. Not got exploded is a bad way. He blew himself up, I guess. I don't hate it. <laughs> we don't get to find out, though, because then we see a shadow and Q and Penny stop arguing. Alice and Q go to investigate uh, the creepy shadow, our first horror trope. And while Penny and Elliot uh, share a flask, apparently a flask that never empties, which is great. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the one funny little thing that happened. Like there's two funny little things that happen in the background of this episode. And that's the first one. The second one follows quickly after when the tour guide appears. Elliot immediately (laughs) checks to see if they could fix this with money. (laughs) Um, Which is on on brand. uh, And the tour guide is just like freaking out so hard. Um, I really like this because Penny is like, he's like, he's so panicked. I can't even read him. I, I love this. We don't get a lot of like call outs to remember that Penny can read everyone's mind because I think he's around a lot of magicians who have been told like, just seal your mind. Don't be, don't do this. This is clearly not a magician. Put those wards up. Yeah. No Taylor Swift for you. Uh, <laughs> So no, but it's it's cool to kind of see that he's like trying to help out in that way. Like he's like, what can I get from this guy? And it's not working. So no, he's freaking out. He's talking a mile a minute. So Elliot steps up and we get our second really fun moment of this episode where he basically makes like a spark of light in his head and goes, I'm a super villain. Now talk. (laughs) And the cutest Penny smile in the background. And we don't get a lot of Penny Elliot interactions. Like as far as I know, I don't even know if they know each other. They're just both there. (laughs) We also don't get a lot of Penny having any fun. So this is wonderful. Yeah. It's kind of like fun that they're both, both a little chaotic and not taking this as seriously as Allison Q. They're about to though. Yeah. We're all about to, uh, the tour guide says that Prudence didn't want the world to know the unnatural things that her brother, and then it cuts out. Everything goes black. And when the lights come back on, we see the tour guide is dead with his lips sewn shut and his throat his slit i got chills i really like i'm not even it's not even in front of me but my brain is doing all the work so like any good mystery crew they're like yeah we're out we're done we're gonna leave we're out unfortunately when we see them outside of the building it's just penny and q alice and elliot are gone oh that's fun not that's fun especially when we're cut immediately away from that (laughs) <laughs> to go back to Kira's mind space. It goes it goes to commercial. It comes back and they're outside and they're like, wait, we have to go back in. And then it goes to Julia and Kira. It's so it's pulling us all over the place. Yeah, it's like here's 15 seconds. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> so we cut to them back on the bench in the park. And I just ugh, I love Kira's little mindscape. She mentions that she was a scientist that she never went to break bells like Julia. She says, magic is science, hard to crack on your own, but far from impossible if you have the natural talent. And Julia seems to be doubting her natural talent. Yeah. I feel a lot of Julia's story so far has been kind of this like struggling with projection from break bills and thereby also magic. And the am I even like good enough to learn magic? Then getting rejected by the hedge witches. There's a lot of like 
reinforced nose. So she's starting to wonder if it's just a party trick that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. That's a relatable feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. And so while Kira's sensing her like doubt in herself, they take a break because Richard is apparently like juicing them up with power. I don't know. Don't like that wording. Um, but they share their best days ever. Kira says that um, her best day ever was in this park with her girlfriend making rainbows that last for 10 seconds. Then Kira offers up like, what's your what's your best day? Right. And she allows Julia to kind of navigate away from the park. And they're under a table in a dining room. And it's like they're they're like cuddled under it, kind of like little kids that they're just like, they don't really fit. And she says it's where she and Q used to hang out and they made a map of Fillory under the table. And Kira even acknowledges like, oh, I loved those books. Like, so she knows about it, uh-huh. which is so nice. And she explains it to her, like, see this, chase this. This is the secret of how to be you. Yeah, I, it's great. I think the two examples are like what Kira is saying is like, what if it is a party trick? It's okay. Like you just do, it doesn't have to be a big thing. And I think that um, maybe a lot of people if, of the millennial generation can relate to the fact that it seems like we were told when we were a lot younger, like there's so much promise and you're really good at this thing. And then that thing doesn't end up being particularly useful when you get to be an adult and you kind of feel like, yeah, that's familiar. Yeah. And it's like, I'm supposed to be able to make this this big thing or I'm supposed to be this is supposed to be my career. And it's like, it's okay if it's just fun. It's okay if it's just like a little thing for you. It's like a comforting thought. I think it also really parallels uh, Q's acceptance of like the Fillory books and his childhood and his mental health and his own life. Like, this is almost Q episode one where he was like, I, you know, trying to get be like, I'm going to sell the books. I'm going to like get rid of this. I can't like have it and be an adult. This is saying that Julia needs to kind of embrace this childhood wonder again. Yeah. To figure out how to be her and how to interact with magic in a way that feels good. One thing I do really like about this moment, because it always makes me a little nervous when we have a black character that is giving advice to a white character, is that she goes, okay, back to what we were doing before, and kind of really abruptly ends it. She's like, back to Yes. Love that. I felt like that was a very strong moment, because, yeah, it's... It just feels... Kira says you may be in the main cast, but this is about me. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I love it. (laughs) I love Uh, it. That was all sweet and fun, but now we're back to the Plover Estate. Yeah, we cut away from the warm, fuzzy feelings back to the Plover Estate to find Q and Penny walking the halls and hearing sounds and seeing shadows. And uh, Penny says, what was that? And Q says, this house is haunted as balls. That's what that is, Uh, which I love. We get various creepy tropes happening. And Q says, "Okay, we get it. There are ghosts in here. Yeah, Um, they really do a lot to make a good comedy of the scary moments which i appreciate yeah it doesn't help it doesn't help me feel better though like i was still very scared of this watching it in the daylight yeah not very happy when the little creepy ghost child says tag you're it oh 
And Q just makes like the most resigned face ever about having to play tag with a ghost. And Penny's like, do we go with this? He's like, what else are we going to do? And he starts chasing after the kid. Oh, my God. We see that there are these like lighting changes. Mm. And it's like signified with this like almost like staticky electric sound as the lighting switches to show that show when the kids were living the stories of when the kids were living and after they died and are haunting the place yeah also because i usually note of this and i did not earlier the lighting and coloring cues that we've been seeing throughout the series has um has held true to this episode in terms of like warmth and um darkness and coldness cold blue hues in the mortal realm muggle realm not mortal realm i don't know why i say this i still we're freaking nine episodes in and i still don't know what to refer to it (laughs) the normies (laughs) (laughs) the normie lighting is blue and cold anyway as Q is chasing this kid, we cut to where Elliot and Alice are. So they're tied up on mm, tiny chairs. They're like, uh, I think their their hands are like almost between their legs, which is like so awful. And Elliot says, this is a little kinky even for me. And a little girl who is, um, you know. That joke does not land for me. Uh, you know it's like he's trying to make light of it and it's really not working for anyone so a little girl who we know now is named beatrix is bringing brings in cookies but she's also like covered in dirt and blood and it's awful while this is happening elliot is trying to like get alice to be like we had to get out of here and he's like do you know popper 29 yet and i just i love when they're like panicked and he's like come on i'm working with a bunch of babies (laughs) (laughs) Elliot really is the upperclassman who's yeah. trying to figure it out. He's also like very good on his feet, as we've learned, like both in trying to to deal with the tour guide and also with dealing with this kid and like playing along with having tea while also being like, we have to get the frick out of here. Oh, yeah. So when he mentions Popper, whatever number he mentions, she says, no magic in the house. Be good or she'll take you to the quiet place. <sighs> Oh, the little girl, the little girl knows about magic. That's not good. Yes. Also, like if they had not brought Elliot, like they would have been, they wouldn't have even gotten in the house. I think like they would have, they would have just been standing outside still. It shorts out to like creepy blood covered, very dead girl Mm -hmm. uh, to warn Alice and Elliot that prudence is coming. I love that. No, I don't. Um, (laughs) so prudence comes in this is the first time we're like really seeing her in in the frame she's been kind of shadowy and stuff so far can you tell i'm uncomfortable and she prudence ties beatrix up and she's preparing tea and she puts something in the tea and the girl is signaling to elliot and alice not to drink it like she's shaking her head prudence is like making comments about how the girl's being naughty and that her brother needs peace for his work. I just, I don't know. And Alice is drinking the tea and then she prudence forces her to drink the tea. I don't have a lot of fluffy things to describe what's going on here because it's awful. We don't need to fluff it up. It's not good. Um, She drugs them. Yeah. And then we cut back to tag with Quentin and ghost George. And 
when they're playing, they see Plover. Uh. Um, and then Quentin and Penny have a little moment um, where Penny explains that this is a time slip. It's like a haunting in which they go back and forth between um, the present haunting and what it was like when the ghosts were still alive. I love this moment because we're all cute here. He's like, y- you say time slip, like you say, yeah, sunrise. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's really great because I think that um, Penny has this like persona where he's like not paying attention. He's like a class clown type where he just like doesn't care about. So he's not a class clown, but he like doesn't care about school. He's like he's paying the attention. too cool for school kid. Yeah. But when it comes to his own stuff, he knows it. Yeah. He's just, he's the smart kid that doesn't put in visible effort. Like that is, that is, that is the boy he is. He says that Sunderland has a PhD in haunting and I have, that is so cool. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. My next note is nerdgasm Penny. (laughs) So does Penny say nerdgasm or is Penny having one? I don't know. I don't remember. (laughs) I feel like it's the latter. I don't think he said that. I mean, I he might have said it in terms of making fun of Quentin. I don't know. So then but we follow Plover. I would say that, like, Penny is being kind of nerdy. It's his first, like, first chance we're getting to see him be, like, nerding out about something. But it's also still, like, in a, uh, why don't you know this? Like, duh. Oh, yeah. It's definitely in a, you should have this basic knowledge. You dumb dumb Quentin. <laughs> yeah. So we follow Plover and they come across Martin and Jane. Mm-hmm. trying to get into fillery jane gets through but martin gets rejected and he says why won't you take me anymore i tried to be good and it's very sad really sad i'm getting chills again the rest of the episode just know dara's experiencing chills it's like this is such a like it's a haunting episode to think about in general yes he martin is like what is wrong with me and it's so sad he asks plover that um uh yeah, and Plover says, us left behinds have to stick together. No. And then George appears again to warn them that Prudence is coming. And she shows up, and she chokes out Penny, and he takes him to the quiet place. Well, there's a commercial break, and then we're in the quiet place, and it's a, it's terrible. And it's not, it's not the movie starring Jim from The Office. And, nope. Uh, Still not a good time. Uh, yeah, no. So he's chained up, and I. This is the first time I felt really like question, like questioning the set choices because, like, he has his hands chained. I guess it's supposed to be like blood, bloody hands on the wall, but they're so in an odd place. I don't know. This really takes me out of the scene. No, if I think about it too long, it it probably would too. Like I remember being like, "Why is he chained so high? Like, why would the chains be that high up?" But also. I, I have to I move on. There, it, it was happening too fast that I didn't like worry about it. He, of course, is like grumpy. He's like, oh, God, I'm like tied up again. But he's sassy about it, of course. But then when Prudence threatens to show his mouth shut, Ugh. he's, he's like, like, I'm out, I'm out again. <laughs> this episode is just Penny saying I'm out over and over again. <laughs> Penny's out. That's the episode. Penny's out. Penny <laughs> travels out of the weird dungeon quiet place. Um, and we cut to Elliot. Elliot wakes up, breaks out of his restraints, and tries to wake up Alice, who is very, very groggy. And she's freaked out and sad. And 
uh, freaks out even more when Beatrice starts coughing up blood. Elliot tries to console her briefly and says, it's okay, it's been over for a long time, and Alice is not for her. She just keeps reliving it. Yeah. Um, but eventually he pulls Alice out of there, and we have another scene cut. We cut to Plover and Martin having tea and cookies. Plover says, let's spoil our dinner. Uh, Jane comes back from Fillory, and Martin pulls her away. She says she has the button for Martin. He tells her not to tell Plover. Correction, he begs her not to tell Plover. Yeah. And he calls George over and tells him to hide the button. I don't think I have anything to say. Like You it's... don't have to have anything to say. Let's go back to the park with Julia yeah, and Kira. Yay, the park, but also, no, it's not better. Uh, <laughs> and Julia promises Kira that she won't forget the spell work that Kira showed her. And Kira says, can I give you a little advice? Forget that school. The world never did help a smart girl. Why would it? We scare the shit out of the world. If the world goes after you, take it as a compliment. <sighs> I love Kira so much. I wish yeah. she was here longer. And I am very mad that she's not. I agree. I she's so like such a strong character that I'm like, can we pivot and just talk about her? <laughs> like, yeah, she's queer. She's confident. She's black, and she's so smart. She knows her shit. And yeah. I just wish that we could have seen more of her. Julia offers to come back because clearly she feels the same way about Kira as we do. Yeah, and Kira says that this is a one-off spell and asks Julia to kill her. Says that she needs her to. And that Richard knew about this all along. So mm -hmm. Julia pops out and is freaking out. And he, Richard says, you think, what do you think redemption looks like? Being nice? But Julia is protesting, saying, like, what if they come up with a cure? What if we come up with a spell? And, like, what, what, if, what if I do this and I get sent to hell? And Richard says, you're already in hell. But so is she. And she says, what do I do? And he says, whichever is hardest, which is some religious bullshit. But like, I'm going to let it slide for this moment. I love what Kira says. She says, I'm allowed to be done. This is an ethical debate that people have been having since like the dawn of time. And every culture has like an opinion on it. And it's interesting to see magic and how they handle like the how people who wield magic handle what they think, you know, like their choices around life and death. And and Julia's comment of like, what if this takes me to hell is like kind of selfish. Like it's like someone's asking you to do something for them. And I don't know, we should honor it, you know, if that's what they want. Uh, so we leave Julia in the midst of uh, turmoil. So we cut to the, we cut back to the Plover estate. Plover drugs Jane. Um, much like his sister and Jane falls asleep what happens is Plover goes straight into classic abuser speak um, telling yep. Martin that he should be grateful for what he does and how much he loves them and how close he is to figuring out magic and then he takes out a camera has Martin strip and takes photos um, Ugh. and says that uh, they could be together in Fillory which is why he wants to go there and I want to vomit. Yeah, he's using magic and fillery as, as like a weapon to manipulate this kid. And it's awful. And Q's watching this through a grate with George. Like he's seeing everything from George's point of view. 
And like he looks away because he's feeling exactly how we are feeling. This is awful. And it's a very hard scene to watch. Yes. Um, And while George and Q and Penny are spying, Prudence catches George and knocks him out and takes him to the quiet place. Yeah, Q watches like this entire altercation where this like woman is just I I don't know. So like we know what happens to George and it's like it's what would have happened to Penny. So we yep. uh when Q and Penny get outside, Q runs straight to Alice. Um Elliot seems really bitter and on edge. I mean Q's processing everything. And calls Plover a monster and says, who, by the way, generations of kids have been worshipping like a literary god. They insinuate that the beast is probably Plover due to all the talk of Plover needing to grow extra fingers to be able to get him and Martin to Fillory. Um, And we know that the beast has six fingers on each hand. I think it's important to note that, like, Q says the bad part out loud, that Plover is Mm. both drugging and raping the kids i think you know in the world that we live in when we often can't talk about the bad things that people in power do especially people that mean a lot to us um, whether they are artists or creators this is somebody who changed q's life and he is saying the bad part out loud yeah Um, Yeah, I just wanted to make note of that. He's not like letting it slide because he wrote the books that saved Q's life. Yeah, he's saying exactly what like I I think when I was first watching this episode, I was like really nervous because I I wasn't sure where Q was going to land. Right. Because like I think there are a lot of people who I'm not going to make any specific like things, but a lot of people who would continue to like support things when the people who have created it or have been a part of it are like, like Q says a monster. And it's, it was a relief for him to acknowledge it. So Penny shows up. He says, they are like, where have you been? And he's like, Oh, she took me to some place called the quiet place. And then Q puts it together. Yeah. That the quiet place is where George is and George has the button. And so let's go find the button. And he literally like turns to run and Penny grabs his arm and is like, what are you doing? That is not, we are not going back into that place. We like, we barely got out. And Q has a plan. He's like, I know of a way to distract Prudence because as we've seen this whole episode, her whole goal has been to continue to disguise and, or disguise is not the right word, to hide all of the things that Christopher Plover has been doing to these children so it does not get out to the public. So Q's plan is to make her kind of like lose lose it by thinking that all of that information, all of those pictures are easily accessible for anyone to find out within the house. It works. Um, yeah. So then they, they go to find a shovel. Yes. Q's plan works. And so they decide to go dig up George's body. And then we're back with Julia and Kira. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like no light parts of this episode, literally. Yeah, there was a moment in the last scene when they're like making a plan and talking about prudence and Elliot just goes dislike. Uh, And that is the only light moment in this back half of the episode. So Julia has clearly decided to do it. Yeah, She asks Kira if she wants her to stay. And Kira's like, so you're found meditating next to my overdosed corpse? (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) 
Kira's such a real one. Yeah. Uh, it's not good. Um, the mindscape fades to black and Julia appears next to Richard, absolutely sobbing. Richard is packing away a, a syringe and is like, all right, we got to go. Pack up. Let's go. Um, and Julia's like in shambles. Yeah. And then we cut back to the Plover estate because only good times oh, here. Oh, I do have to, I do want to say something about um, Stella Maeve's acting in this episode. You know, Julia doesn't get a lot of time in these episodes and I know I, I never actually do the math. So apologies, but I think there's a lot of like, we've had some criticisms of like the tools that she's been given and some of these like scenes. It's just not great, but this is a great episode for her acting because she, to me felt like she was going to cry the entire episode. It, it felt like her voice was wavering pretty consistently. And I was like, Oh no, and then she's really crying and I'm like, oh, finally. Like, if I was like, oh, good. Like, she's just feeling it, you know? Like, I can see that it's, she's letting it out. And it was just, like, great acting. I loved it. Yeah. It, if you didn't know, Stella, is it Maeve? How do you pronounce it? I assumed it was Maeve, but if there's another way. No, nope, uh, we'll just go with that. Um, if you didn't know, Stella Maeve is an excellent crier. Feel free to go into season eight of Grey's Anatomy and watch the episode suddenly. She has like a multi-episode arc and she she does a lot of crying. Wow. It's, it's at least in the first one. It's very it's her arc in this is also a huge bummer. Yeah. But uh yeah, little little fun fact for you there. Yeah. Uh super fun, super fun. All I can keep saying is super fun because oh, it's not fun. So we go back to the Plover estate. They find the button and plan to finally leave. Yeah. But Alice says that they have to go back. Yeah. She makes the argument that this is the kind of thing we should be able to fix, which harkens back to episode five in that they can't fix everything and they fix what they can. Yeah. She tries to like magic logic her way into, into the, sorry, she tries to logic uh, a way into helping the kids but Elliot who again is the upperclassman here disputes all of her ideas and shuts it down yeah he gets very cynical and goes way too hard and makes her cry yeah and Q is like back the fuck off like he is not having it it's been a rough night everyone's on edge and they're all all the writers made them all mean to each other and I'm sad about it <laughs> Absolutely. And it get, but it's, I don't know. I, as much as it's really bad, I kind of appreciate what Elliot's saying. Yeah. He says, life isn't fair. Why in the high holy fuck should death be any different? It's a, thinking that you can change anything is such a monumental act of ego. I mean, who do you think you are? And that's, and after that is when it gets, it gets like crosses the yeah. line. So Q shuts him down and then he goes to try to comfort Alice. He calls her Vix. I'm like uh, short for Vix. What is this? Yeah. Okay. Vixen is a female fox. Uh, uh. Fucking foxes once again. Yeah. Um, but it's it's sweet. It shows that there has been some int intimacy built up since the last episode. Uh. And he, uh, you know, Q having learned what he did in 105 convinces Alice that they that they need to go and just. Yeah, and we watch the ghost children watch them leave. Because they're in this loop, I feel like I feel like Alice is right. I feel like they are experiencing it over and over again for however long this has been happening. And I don't know. I think I think as much as Elliot is correct, he is also feeling a lot of the pains of what happened la the last episode. 
with his what he thought was his boyfriend and having to kill him. I mean, there's definite projecting here. Yeah. It's a combination of projecting his uh, his disillusionment with with life and also his genuine knowledge that they can't yeah. fix it. Like they said, they could clear the they could clear like the ghosts, but it's not gonna stop the them from like reliving their pain. It's not gonna put them at any rest. Yeah, it's it's a rough but valid conversation. Yeah. So we get back to the cottage. And Q and Alice are sitting side by side on a sofa and they just look very tense and very uncomfortable. Elliot is drinking by the fire. Yes. And silently. <laughs> Penny is MIA. Uh no, he's in the room, right? He comes up later, but we just see we just we don't see them yet. Anyway. So Q is trying to comfort her and she's like, I'm fine. And he's like, No, you are not. And she's like, Okay. She says, no, I'm not, and then asks if he's okay, and he talks about how desperate he is to kill the beast now after seeing what he saw. Yeah, he really gets pretty introspective, and he has said, he says that he has been worried about protecting himself and the fact that the beast is kind of coming after him and Penny. He's been worried about that part, and now it's kind of, instead of defensive, it's a little offensive, which is a nice change. I don't know if that helps Alice at all, but n- nice to know, Q. Uh, but at least they can both say that they're not okay. Yeah. And they're not pretending, which is good because in the previous episode, like when they were in Penny's room, they were starting out by just like hiding all their emotions and lying into each other. Yeah. So not great. Speaking of Penny, Penny emerges and asks to see the button and says that he feels a ton of magic coming off of it. Q tells him not to, but he touches it and travels away concluding the episode with i told him not to do that it's kind of funny though like it's this button is protected in this like little container that has a little hinge on it so there's like a little door and i'm like all it takes to not have you go to fillery is this tiny little glass door it's like a little insane to me listen magic works in fun ways like you know when you stab a vampire and it turns to dust why did the clothes turn to dust that doesn't make sense that doesn't make any sense. Is that what I know? Is that what happens in Buffy? <laughs> it happens in quite a few different vampire um, spaces, but yeah, the fine lines of what stops magic is is fun. But this was all tailor made by the creatures of Fillory. So yeah. Okay, Olivia, what was your favorite line of this episode? Uh, when they refer to this as a vaguely whimsical horror show, because that's right on the money. <laughs> they got it. Mine was, I'm a supervillain, now talk. That's the only time I laughed. Excellent. Yeah. Honorary mention to this house is haunted as balls. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. Magic is the only queer coding I need. What was your moment? Kira eating ice cream in the park with her girlfriend, working on a spell that makes mini rainbows that last 10 seconds. Same. I mean, that was the only one. We were given crumbs this episode. Moment. Yes. Crumbs indeed, Dara. Uh, What had you (laughs) spellbound? Uh, As much as I don't like the horror part of this episode, it was well done. I mine was the switch between the kids being alive and dead. That was it was really well, really great. Great in that like a technically amazing, like regularly horrible. So what was yours? I liked. I liked when they I liked when we had our little moment under the table with Kira and Julia 
that within mm. Kira's mind space, we were also able to go into Julia's mind space somehow. I think that was a very interesting, like the more I think about it, the more interesting the layers to that are. Yeah. Scarlatti's web within Scarlatti's web within Scarlatti's web. Uh, I also, I know we pointed it out earlier, love the idea that Sunderland has a PhD in hauntings because it just opens up yeah. this whole world. So like you can get a doctor in, in, is it in at magic? break bells or do you go somewhere else? Uh, I have some new <laughs> questions. Or do you just like live in a haunted house and that's what all of those like ghost hunting shows are? It's just magicians getting their PhD. <laughs> Absolutely. My goodness. I'm creating fan fiction on the pod. Sorry, guys. Um, I, I think like this episode itself is just really tough, right? My last, I guess, like funny little thing to say is how long is Margot going to be in Ibiza? We're like, I'm so like i'm parched for margot content please <laughs> yeah i again i think it's definitely a combination of there were too many side character actors that they needed to pay and also it was easy to plot point her out in ibiza so um yeah. hopefully we will see her next week um i can go either way you know season one margot is not my favorite margot um she's more of a type than a fleshed out person uh, yeah but who knows maybe we'll see Margot next week at break bills maybe we won't be at break bills at all that's such a mysterious way to end the podcast episode olivia yeah well we ended the episode <laughs> with penny going to possibly fillery so oh my god oh my god what an adventure if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at No Sidekicks Pod on Instagram or send us an email at nosidekickspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay magical or whatever. 